Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you thankful that you can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? And I feel his spirit here tonight. And I feel the sweet touch of the Lord. I do feel a little emotional today. Uh, I was realizing that it was exactly five years ago today that I baptized Julia Lynn French in Jesus' name five years ago today. And isn't she awesome and lovely and godly and I am so proud of her. I was a lot skinnier than then. She, skinnier than she mentioned that when I sent her the picture. So I appreciate that. Someone else pointed out I had more hair too. So thank you all. God bless you. But that was a special day, and I, I'm thankful for that. I'm no greater joy than to see my children serve the Lord. And as a pastor, it brings me great joy to see you here tonight serving the Lord. Amen. All God's people said amen. Uh, I'd like to direct you to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3 and verse number 29. John chapter 3 and verse number 29. And then I'm going to direct you to Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14. We're going to look at a few scriptures together. And as you're turning there, as is customary for me when pastor is not here, I would like to give him special honor tonight. I'm so thankful that we have a pastor that is a Christian all the time. He's not a part-time Christian. He's a Christian when he's behind the pulpit, and he's a Christian when he gets home, and he's a Christian everywhere he goes. And I'm so thankful that we have a pastor that loves us and prays for us and sacrifices for us. And, uh, and I, I, that'd be appropriate. I think that'd be a good thing to do. I'm going to be preaching about pastors, so to speak, tonight. So it's appropriate for me to give him honor. You know, I, I refrain sometimes from saying certain things because uh, when he's here, he would, he would be embarrassed. Many of you don't realize it, but... Pastor is typically here on Sundays at 5 o'clock in the morning. He's here before the sun goes up, and then he typically gets a quick bite to eat, and then he's back at the church uh, right up until church time, and then he's here until the time service is over. And it's very rare for him not to be here seven days a week, multiple, multiple hours a day, and many, many times I've come into the church and heard him in this sanctuary crying out to God and calling your name before the Lord. And I'm thankful that we have a pastor who has a burden and a love for God's people. Amen? And I give him honor tonight. And so with that being said, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about pastors and the bride of Christ. John 3 and 29, if you have that, say amen. This is John the Baptist preaching. And he said this, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, 
which standeth and heareth him. Everyone said, heareth him. Rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore is fulfilled. Look at your neighbor and say, if you are the bride, you will rejoice at the voice. You'll rejoice at the voice. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14, a familiar passage says this, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Everyone said a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, I don't have a long time to give you an exposition of this, but Paul isn't just talking about giving them permission to go. How many knows if God calls a preacher, he can go anywhere he wants to go and preach the gospel? Paul is talking about supporting the preacher in the sending. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And I'd like to preach for just a moment tonight. Don't let this picture throw you off too, too much. But the picture is part of my sermon. I'd like to preach the responsibility of the bride. The responsibility of the bride. If you're a part of the church, you're the bride of Christ. Why don't you shake your neighbor's hand and say, you are the bride. I'm the bride of Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The responsibility of the bride. I, I ran across this, this picture. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's become kind of a, an internet phenomenon, a, a viral sensation. Uh, and I took the caption off of it that's usually there. And as you can see, it's three wolves uh, in a fight. And the, the darker wolf on top is, is the male wolf. And that wolf underneath is the bride, the female wolf. And they're being attacked by this unknown, unnamed white wolf. And at first blush, and this was what captured people's imaginations about the picture is that it looks as if the male wolf is protecting the female wolf. It looks as if the bride is, is hovering in fear or hiding underneath the male wolf when in fact this is not what is happening in the picture. When wolves go into a fight, and of course anyone who knows anything about wolves knows that they fight in packs, typically. And it is the responsibility in a pack of wolves for the bride, the female wolf, to guard the throat of the male wolf in a fight. Because in a fight between wild wolves, it's the throat that is most vulnerable. If you know anything about wolves and dogs, you know that it's their nature it's their inclination when they fight to attack the jugular, to go for the throat. 
and have a speedy victory. In fact, a wolf can grip an animal, another animal by the throat and, and, their, and their grip can be so strong that they can hang on to that throat until their adversary literally bleeds out quickly because the throat is valuable and the throat is where not only the voice comes from but the life of the blood flows through the veins of the throat and so the bride the female wolf will hunker down underneath the male wolf to protect the throat when the enemy tries to come in she's there to block the attack and the lord began to deal with me about we as the bride of christ and the lord began to talk to me about the idea that as preachers of the gospel, we are the voice of God in this world. Now, I say that carefully because I certainly would never want to elevate a man anywhere near the status of the voice of God. But God has always used men. This is what Paul uh, was referring to when he said it's, it's hard for people to understand that God would use the foolishness of preaching. It seems strange that God would use humble, ordinary men, people like Simon Peter, who were just good old fishermen, who, who were just trying to make a living and really not very well educated. In fact, if you look at the life of Peter... He really wasn't even all that suave. He was just kind of a uh, in-your-face kind of a guy. But God saw potential in Peter and said, I am going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And you're going to be the one that preaches the gospel of salvation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And God has always used men to be his mouthpiece. And so it is in the New Testament era that God takes unworthy men, imperfect men, who, and he calls them into his service and they become his voice in the world. And we collectively as a church are the bride of Christ. And it is the responsibility of the bride to protect the voice of the preacher in the world. It's the responsibility of the church to get underneath the voice and the throat of the preacher, so to speak, and protect the word of God that is being preached into a dark world. When the enemy begins to attack the voice of the man of God, it is the responsibility of the bride of Christ to stand up and say, I will not allow the enemy to attack the throat of the man of God. I'm going to protect the voice. I'm going to protect the preaching. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to hold it dear. I'm going to hold it sacred. I'm going to protect it when the world says to be quiet. When the world tries to drown out the voices of godly men, the church ought to stand up and say, we are going to protect the voice of the man of God. We are going to stand behind the pulpit. We're going to stand behind the word when it is declared with boldness and truth and authority. Now let me just say, and, and, and I, I, I didn't really come to edify tonight. I hope that's okay. I really just came to tell you what the word of God says. The reason, oftentimes I'll hear people complain about uh, preachers who have become more and more watered down. 
And this is true. It, lots of preaching has become what I call very cowardly. Men who are afraid to preach the truth of God's word. Why? Because the word of God is countercultural. It always has been. The word of God will declare that sin is sin. And sinners don't want to be told that they're sinners. And nobody likes to be told that they're wrong, including yours truly. It just goes against our nature. We don't like to hear that we've been doing something wrong. And, but preaching confronts our carnality. Real, godly preaching confronts our flesh. And so when our flesh is confronted, many times we'll be uncomfortable. And we dislike that feeling. And many preachers have caved because. Now, I'm not taking responsibility away from men who have not had the courage. I believe that preachers ought to have the courage to preach the truth, even if they have to preach it all by themselves in a storefront somewhere. I think that men of God ought to be willing to preach when everybody's laughing just like Noah. I think men of God ought to be able to preach just like Elijah when they feel like they're the only ones left until they finally get to the top of a mountain and call down fire from heaven. I think that preachers ought to have the courage of their convictions and they ought to be so grounded in the word of God that they can preach even when people run them out of town and beat them and laugh at them and mock them. I think that they ought to be able to do that. But let me also say... That the reason many preachers have watered down their message is because the bride of Christ refused to come underneath the preaching and lift up men and encourage men who are standing for truth. And I think the church needs to get back to a revival of saying, Preacher, preach me the whole truth, the plain truth, and nothing but the truth. The church needs to lose its appetite for sugar. The church needs to lose its appetite for sweetness the church needs to lose its appetite for changing things to make them feel better instead we need to stand up and say man of God even if it hurts my feelings even if it gets on top of my toes I want you to preach it to me plain tell me the truth and I'm gonna be right here saying amen I'm gonna be right here when the dust settles and when the enemy comes in like a flood against your ministry I'm going to be right here standing beside you, preacher. A lot of preachers have stopped preaching because the bride would not protect their voice. The bride left them to die on the battlefield. Oh, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. The bride abandoned them in time of difficulty. The bride left them in the moments when they were needed the most. You see, as the church, you're not just a small thing. You're not just a cog in a wheel. You are literally the children of God. You are literally God's betrothed, God's beloved. You are now standing as it were spiritually with garments that are pure white. You are waiting on his soon return like we preached about this morning. And as you wait, you are in the battlefield of the world. And you are standing in the gap. 
gap between the attacks of the enemy and the man of God. I've never known a preacher that had a great ministry that did not have great saints standing behind him in prayer. I have never known a preacher that had a great ministry that did not have great saints standing behind him with fasting. I've never known a preacher that could preach a message that impacted a generation and changed the city that did not have saints of God that were standing up with them in battle. You see, it's not just about me and it's not just about you. We've got to have one another. And if we don't have God in the mix, then we have nothing at all. But we need the voice of God. We need the spirit of God. And we need the saints of God standing up together, arm in arm, facing against the enemy, the prince of the power of this world. You see, it's, it's easy to chafe at the voice of the man of God. The enemy will intentionally try to throw offense into your heart against the man of God and the preaching of the word. Why? Because when you are offended at the voice of the man of God and when you are offended at the man himself, you will not do what God has called you to do and protect the voice of the preacher. In fact, if the enemy can put enough offense in your spirit, you will become an enemy of the voice of God. And that is a danger dangerous place to be my friend but instead we need to be friends of the bridegroom we need to be people who want to hear the voice of God we ought to long to hear the preaching of the word preaching shouldn't be something that we run from preaching shouldn't be something that we just have to sit through I'm going to help somebody tonight preaching shouldn't just be something that we have to make it through so we can go out to eat and do something that we'd rather be doing no my friend the preaching of the word ought to be valuable to you. The preaching of the word ought to be something that you long for. You ought to be saying in your spirit, I can't wait to hear what God wants to say to me tonight. I can't wait to hear what the Lord is trying to speak into us tonight. And when you step into a church service, you should understand as the bride of Christ that the enemy will always be attacking the voice. No matter what is happening in the world, the enemy will be actively trying trying to destroy the voice of the man of God. He'll attack him physically. He'll attack him emotionally. He'll attack him spiritually. He'll attack his home, his finances, his family. He'll attack his health, anything that he can do to silence the voice of the man of God. And as the church, you should be in prayer for the man of God. There shouldn't be a service where the preacher gets up to preach that you haven't already prayed for him as he preaches the word. There should never be a service while he's preaching that you aren't praying somewhere in your spirit. Lord, help the preacher tonight. You should never be coming into the house of God saying, preacher, I'm just going to sit here until you finally do something that makes me feel good. We've had enough of that in this generation. No, the bride of Christ ought to be saying, I'm going to pray with the preacher. I'm going to preach with the preacher. I'm going to amen with the preacher. I'm going to come into agreement with the preacher. If it convicts me, I'll be convicted. If it uplifts me, I'll be uplifted. If it brings joy, I'll dance. If it brings sorrow, I'll cry. If it brings conviction, I'll repent. But I am going to get underneath the throat of the man of God so that I can be fulfilling my responsibility. 
My God, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. You see, the reason that many people never find spiritual victory, they hear powerful sermon after powerful sermon. When you see on the cross of Calvary, you see Jesus there between two thieves. And both thieves heard the same words. And both thieves had heard the same stories. And perhaps they had even seen and witnessed the same miracles of Jesus. But one thief responded to the word one way. And another thief responded to the word another way. And they had completely different outcomes based on their response to the voice of Jesus. And I want you to understand that you can hear the same sermons as everybody else. And never ever find victory. Why? Because you refuse to get underneath the throat, underneath the voice of the man of God. And so you became an enemy instead of a defense. And if you would become a defense like God called you to be, my God, I feel it right now. Then you would start seeing victory in your own life. I'm going to show you how in just a minute. You would start seeing breakthrough in your own life. You would start having joy in your own life. You would start having anointing in your own life. But you'll never have the anointing if you won't come underneath the voice of the man of God hey, hey, hey. Ah. Ah. how how can I protect the throat brother Ryan I'm going to give you some some simple ways that you can protect the voice of the man of God you can speak on his behalf when he isn't listening. Huh. You can speak on his behalf when he's not present. You can stand up and say, I'm going to stand behind the man of God, even when others are not standing behind the man of God. Rather than fussing about the sermon that I didn't like, I'm going to stand behind the man of God. Rather than engaging in conversations that tear down the preaching of the word, I am going to stand up for the word of God and for the man of God. I promise you that if you will avoid the spirit of Korah, remember it was Korah who attacked Moses and tried to raise up a rebellion against the commandments of Moses. If you will avoid the spirit of Korah, and instead, you will engage in the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. You will have blessings in your life. Korah was never able to enter the promised land. In fact, it was difficult for even his family to enter into the promised land because he became an enemy of the voice of God. But people like Joshua and and Caleb and her, they made up their minds, even when it's hard for us to go along with it, we are going to come underneath the voice of Moses. It didn't mean they always agreed with everything that Moses did. It did mean they were submitted to the voice of God in their life. It didn't mean they liked everything that Moses ever said. I can guarantee you there were many times that Joshua did not enjoy what Moses was telling him to do. But he made up his mind. I'm going to submit to the voice. I'm going to come underneath it. And I'm going to protect it when opposition comes against it. And if you want to have Jericho faith that brings walls down, it's going to start by coming underneath the voice of a man of God. If you want to be a man or a woman of God, it's going to start by coming underneath the voice of the man of God. If you refuse to do it, 
you will have the same spiritual demise that Korah had. God will open up against rebellion and he will pour out judgment. But if you will have the spirit of Joshua, you're going to step into the promises of God. You're going to step into the favor of God and you're going to see blessings flow into your life. Now, here's where you're really going to get quiet and I'm going to preach this quietly. If you want to support the voice, you're going to have to be willing. And this is biblical. I'm not going to give you every scripture. This is New Testament Bible as well as Old Testament. If you want to support the voice of the man of God, you are going to have to support the work of God financially. (laughs) Now, I've already made you mad and probably offended some of you, so I'm just going to go ahead and double down on it. There are people who will go to McDonald's and have no problem handing over their 10 or their 20 or their 30 for food that's not cooked all the way through. They're going to get the order wrong. They might even spit in your food. We don't know. They're probably not going to smile at you. And uh, it probably isn't even me. We don't know for sure. And you're going to probably sit at a table that you have to clean yourself. Everybody okay? I went to Popeye's the other day. I love Popeye's. And I know there's this big Popeye's Chick-fil-A sandwich battle. I'm not going to tell you which sandwich I prefer, but I will tell you why I prefer Chick-fil-A over Popeye's. Even though, and some of you will crucify me for this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I think Popeye's food is better. I know. I know. Crucify me later. I'm not speaking for God right now, okay? This is just Ryan. God's probably not pleased with me right now. I think Popeye's is better. I really do. I like their food better. However... I still prefer to go to Chick-fil-A nine times out of ten. You know why? Because when I go to Chick-fil-A, I get what I ordered. And the table is clean. And I don't wait 45 minutes. Whenever I finally work up the courage to go to Popeye's, because I just want that taste so much, I have to wait 45 minutes. The other day I went with Pastor and uh, already paid for our drinks, and we got up there. None of the sodas worked at all in the soda machine. They said, oh, we forgot to tell you. All we have is unsweet tea. Well, give me my $3.15 back, please. And so I I prefer Chick-fil-A because the service is so good. But we'll go to places like that. I still gave them my money when I went to Popeye's. Had terrible service. Been a long time. And we'll do this. We'll go to restaurants and we'll, we'll give over our hard-earned money every time we go. It would be stealing if you went to Popeye's and said, here's my food. I'm not giving you my money. I'm not giving you anything in return. They, they would call that theft. And you have no problem doing that, but you'll come to the house of God over and over and over and over again and never give God one dime for the manna that's been preached into your life. I'm just going to let that settle in. You would never dream of going to McDonald's and saying, I'm not paying for this. I, you don't deserve it. You just give it to him. But you'll come to the house of God and you won't even give God a tip. Yeah. 
And some of you will say, and I've already made you mad, so I'll just keep going. Some of you say, well, I pay my tithes. I give God my 10%. That's not your 10%. That's God's 10%. If you give God your tithes, that's already his. You haven't done God a single favor, but you'll never give God an offering. You know what an offering is? That's like giving a waiter a tip saying, thank you, God. I love you so much. You've been so good to me, Lord. I, I, I'm just going to give you a little extra. I'm going to bless you a little bit more. Hey, some of y'all need to fall in love with supporting the work of God. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this in. It's usually the people who never support the things of God financially who want more programs. They want more youth programs. Well, we, we need another. We, we need something fixed over there. Well, we've got a problem over there. Some of y'all are so scared looking right now. That's all right. It's good for you. So build your character. It's always the people who don't give that want more. They want something to be given to them. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Give and it shall be given. Good measure pressed down and running over. If you want to be able to be blessed by God, you're going to have to be a blessing to God. And if you want the gospel to be carried out in your community, you say, well, we're not reaching everyone. Well, start protecting the voice of God. Start protecting the kingdom of God. Start supporting the kingdom of God with your treasure. But you gave Netflix your treasure. I don't have anything to give, but you've got cable. That'd be a good place to start. Go cancel your cable and start supporting the work of God. I'm going to preach to somebody tonight, even if nobody amens me. You've got the brand new iPhone. You've got the fastest wireless you can get at your house. You've got a nice car, but you can't support the... My God, you need to go repent and ask God to help you. If you can't support the things of God with your treasure, then you are not supporting the things of God. Support the man of God when he's not around. Support the things of God with your treasure. And finally, support the man of God by lifting his arms. We see in the story in Exodus chapter 17 that it wasn't long after the Israelites had left Egypt and they were, they were fresh under the ministry of Moses. And this was a very uh, troubled time for the people of God. You would think, it always boggles my mind, that you would think after Moses had had brought them out of Egypt and that he had proven that he was anointed and called of God, you would think that after the Red Sea parted and, and Pharaoh's armies were destroyed under the waters of the Red Sea, you would think that after all of those tremendous miracles, manna falling from heaven, can you, can you fathom God literally dropping heavenly bread down and feeding them every single day without food? Did you know the Bible says that as they wandered through the wilderness, God literally made it where their shoes would not be destroyed? Their shoes would not wear out. Their clothes would not wear out. This is how God took care of his people. After God brought water out of a rock, after God sweetened the bitter waters, after God provided for them and saved them over and over again, you would think that this would be a season of revival for God's people where they would be fully supportive of the man of God, where they would be completely behind Moses' ministry. But I can tell you that it does 
doesn't always work that way because our flesh is still our flesh. And so, you know, I have found that in the times of greatest revival, that's when the greatest opposition will come to the man of God. And so while all of these great things are happening, they're getting closer and closer to the promised land. The people would constantly grow frustrated with Moses. And the Bible says that they would murmur and they would complain. And sometimes they would even plot rebellion and ways to overthrow Moses. In fact, it didn't take them long, and they're out there dancing around a golden calf. Moses walks off for just a few minutes, and the whole church is down there dancing naked around a golden calf. He has to come down with the Ten Commandments. I'm just trying to get this in your head. This is We're still people. This is how the church can be today sometimes. The man of God quits looking for two minutes, and everybody's got a golden calf in their living room, watching all nakedness and everything they can pump into their house. I'm going to help somebody. That's all right. Just leave me up here to die that's okay and, and and so all of this is happening and Moses has to come down with the Ten Commandments he's so frustrated he has to break them on the ground and go down and rebuke the people and get them back in line and yet God forgives them notice the heartbeat of a true man of God now I'm gonna preach to myself for just a moment here the heartbeat of a true man of God is to never grow bitter at people who attack the ministry even when they should be supporting the ministry. Because over and over again, Moses would get down on his knees and say, God, please spare these people. I know they've rebelled against me, and I know that they've rebelled against you. But Lord, I'm asking you to hold back judgment. I'm asking you not to destroy them. I'm asking you to still bless them, God. Will you forgive them one more time? That is the heartbeat of a true man of God who refuses to grow bitter, who refuses to grow angry, who forgives over and over again. And instead of pleading with God for vengeance, he pleads with God for mercy. Aren't you thankful that God is merciful? Aren't you thankful that God calls men who are merciful to the ministry? And Moses would do this. And I, so many times I read where people are literally destroying Moses. And he gets down and he pleads with God, Lord, please don't destroy them. And sometimes God was more angry than, with their rebellion than Moses was. That ought to make some of us take notice that God sometimes gets more angry at rebellion against his man than his man does. And so they're going through all of this. Things are going pretty good. There had been some murmuring, some complaining, but everything's going good. When out of nowhere, the Amalekites attacked God's people. The Amalekites came in like a flood, and they were stronger. The Amalekites were a warring people. They were people well acquainted with war. They had far superior weapons than the Israelites had. They had a lot more training, a lot more battle experience. These were a warring, hardened people who were nomadic, who lived in the desert. They were well acquainted with desert warfare. And God's people were new to the desert. And they were just coming out of slavery. They weren't warring people. They hadn't fought a lot of battles. They hadn't gone into a lot of conflicts. They had just come right out from under the slave master's whip right into the wilderness. And now you have an army of Amalekites coming against them. And Moses looked at Joshua and said, Joshua, I want you to, to pick 
your own men. Just handpick some men that you think would be good for this battle. And I want you to go down into the valley of Raphaim. And I want you to take them on and fight them. And God is going to give us the victory. And so Joshua, being obedient to the voice of the man of God. Everybody catch that? You think Joshua wanted to go fight the Amalekites? No, he did not. But the man of God said, it's time to fight. So he said, all right, I'm going to get some men together. We're going to go down and fight. And he took them down. And Moses stood on the hillside, the Bible says, with his rod, that rod that God had anointed and given him for a purpose, that rod of correction, that rod of inspiration, that rod that became a symbol of God's power, authority, and strength. And Moses stretched out his arms, no doubt in prayer. And he lifted up that rod over the conflict. And the people began to notice something very fascinating. Every time Moses, the man of God, would lift up that rod and lift up his arms, God's people would begin to win the battle. And every time Moses let down his arms, God's people would begin to lose the battle. And so as they noticed this was happening, they realized Moses is not going to be able to hold up his arms all day long for this battle. He's going to be too exhausted. It's not possible for him to do that by himself. And so some good men got around him and said, listen, Moses, we know you can't hold up your arms all day long. And so they got some stools beside him and some men got close and they took turns helping the man of God lift up his arms for the... I wish somebody would get a hold of this revelation. They began to take turns lifting up the arms of the man of God. Moses couldn't do it by himself. He was just a man. But some godly men said, I'm going to get underneath the voice of the man of God. I'm going to get underneath this anointing. And we're going to see a victory. We're going to see revival. We're going to take the city. We're going to take the land. We're going to win this battle. We're going to overcome this adversary. We're going to help the man of God we're not going to leave him by himself because if he wins we win and so they lifted up they lifted up his arms and the Bible says that as the day progressed God's people overcame the Amalekites now what you notice and this is the revelation that I want to give some of you tonight as the musicians come quickly the Bible says that Moses is doing all, the entire text talks about the man of God, the preacher, the prophet, holding up his arms. And every time he held up his arms, the victory came to God's people. But then in the last verse of the text, the Bible says very clearly and very, very intentionally that Joshua won the battle. The scripture says this way, this is how Joshua won the battle against the Amalekites. What does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. If you will lift up the arms of the man of God. It is not going to be just the man of God who wins. In fact, it won't even be his victory. If you want victory in your life, lift up the hands of the man of God. And as you come underneath the voice... 
it's going to be your victory it's going to be your breakthrough it's going to be your miracle it's going to be your family saved it's going to be your prodigal that comes home it's going to be your finances that grow it's going to be your house that grows in joy and abundance it's going to be your battle that's won this is how it works there's no glory don't enter ministry for glory there's no glory in ministry sister Cole you know this it's just blood sweat and tears if you think people get in the ministry some do and they're the shysters and they're the ones who are telling everybody they're going to get a Lamborghini tomorrow but if you think ministries are in it for the fame and glory let me just tell you They'd be better off being a lawyer. But I will tell you something. When you support the voice of God, when you support the things of God, it is going to be you who receives the breakthrough in the spirit. You think, well, that I don't, I don't want to have that. Our selfishness, this is how we think about giving sometimes. Well, just like, what if that young boy with those loaves and fishes said, my mom gave this to me. This is all that I have. I just have a few loaves and a few fishes. What if he would have said to the disciples, I'm not giving that to Jesus. It's all I have. Tell them to get their own. Some of us feel that way sometimes, don't we? Tell them to get their own blessing. Tell them to do it themselves. I'm hanging on to it because it may not be much, but it's all that I have. And you see, in the wisdom of the world, that is how we would act. But in the wisdom of God, we say, if I give everything I have, God's going to give me more than I ever dreamed I could have. If I support someone else, I'm not only going to help them, but I'm going to be helped as well. This is the economy of God. Stand with me. I wonder if there's someone here tonight, pastor's not here, and that's why I'm preaching like this tonight.